Hello and welcome back, Supreme Court buffs. My name is Aaron Larson, and you are listening to the sixth installment of Landmark Decisions in the United States Supreme Court. The main focus of this podcast will be to highlight the key decisions that made the Supreme Court and the United States what it is today. In today's episode, we will be looking at the background and decision in United States v. Hudson and Goodwin, commonly referred to as U.S. v. Hudson. Under the court of Chief Justice John Marshall, this case took place in the year 1812 and looks at the intertwining jurisdiction between constitutional and criminal law. The facts of the case are quite simple. The defendants, Barzillai Hudson and George Goodwin, were accused of promoting a popular conspiracy theory at the time and were charged with libel for their actions. Now, libel, often referred to as defamation, is written or printed words, pictures, or in any other form than the spoken word used against public or private officials. The law on libel originally began in 17th century England with the growth of different factions during the English Civil War and the Glorious Revolution. The circuit courts in this case looked at English common law as precedent in the case, and we will see that as we get closer to the outcome. The earliest case of libel in the colonies revolved around John Peter Zanger in 1735. Now this name may sound familiar to you as his actions are commonly taught in many high school American history courses. Zanger published another man's article in the New York Weekly Journal criticizing the royal governor of colonial New York. Zanger was proven to be not guilty as the words he published in the article were not specifically his own, and they actually turned out to be true accusations. Another case, New York Times Company v. Sullivan, pops up in 1964, and we will see this as a critical landmark case later in the series. Now how does one go about proving libel? This is important for the Supreme Court to understand in deciding a case of this caliber. In the United States, a person must prove that the defamation of a public official was in fact false. I referred to libel as a form of conspiracy theory earlier in the episode, and there are many similarities between the two. Little to no truth behind the statements and nothing to back up the claims given leads to libel. It must also be proven that little to no research into the truthfulness of the statement had occurred and the one spreading the lies had one intent, to further spread a conspiracy against a public individual causing harm. Furthermore, the libelous words must cause some kind of harm to the individual. If there was malicious intent behind them, then it further proves that there was indeed defamation. This can come through in the form of ruining integrity or the social standing of a public individual. Throughout the years, these have been the rules that have been followed in order to prove libel against another individual. Before the New York Times case in 1964, libel was not necessarily protected by First Amendment freedom of speech, and it is not a significant part of the ruling in U.S. v. Hudson and Goodwin. Now what exactly were the libelous claims that Hudson and Goodwin were spreading, you may be asking? 
It is actually quite simple in that the defendants were claiming that there was a governmental conspiracy between President Jefferson and Congress of secretly voting to give Napoleon Bonaparte of France $2 million to sign a treaty with Spain. The war going on between France and Spain was referred to as the Peninsular War and was a part of the Napoleonic Wars in the early 19th century. The war did not officially end until 1814, so it is not clear whether there actually was a deal between France and the United States regarding the end of the war. Either way, these are the claims that Hudson and Goodwin were charged with spreading. The case originally went to the Circuit Court for the District of Connecticut, where the claims originated against Hudson and Goodwin. The court was divided whether it could apply English common law jurisdiction over cases involving the United States as a party and in criminal cases in the United States. Finally, in February of 1812, the Supreme Court claimed jurisdiction over the case through a writ of certiari. This is an order by which a higher court, and in this case the Supreme Court, reviews a decision of a lower court, and in this case, the Circuit Court for the District of Connecticut. So the Supreme Court will be reviewing the U.S. v. Hudson case that originated in the Circuit Court for the District of Connecticut. The question that the Supreme Court was trying to answer was whether or not the circuit courts, or any lower federal court for that matter, had jurisdiction in criminal cases such as the one we see here. Justice William Johnson Jr. wrote the majority opinion for the court, and it was a unanimous decision under his opinion. The court held that the federal government has limited powers set forth to it in the Constitution. Under Article 3 of the U.S. Constitution, which established the Supreme Court, only the jurisdiction of the highest court in the United States is explicitly defined. The lower courts were created in the Judiciary Act of 1789, so their jurisdiction is defined by Congress, not common law. The roles of the circuit courts, therefore, lay with Congress and their jurisdiction is limited to specific acts given to them by the United States Congress. Congress, therefore, would have had to make the act of libel a crime, attach a punishment to it, and declare that all federal courts have jurisdiction over this matter. Since they have not done this, the circuit court decision in the case is null and void. This case made it impossible for the lower federal courts to convict defendants for common law crimes such as libel and mandated that Congress define the criminal jurisdiction of the federal courts through legislation. This case can be seen as the first to establish the concept of nulla poena sine lege into the federal courts. This is an idea which says one cannot be punished for a crime that is not illegal under the law. Because of this, Hudson and Goodwin could not be convicted by the circuit courts. As I said earlier, this is not the last time the case of libel would be coming before the court, and it shows that U.S. v. Hudson and Goodwin stands precedent, allowing for it to prove its worth 
as a landmark decision in the United States Supreme Court. Now, today's episode shows a short, anticlimactic conclusion in U.S. v. Hudson and Goodwin. This is not too common for landmark decisions, but it is key to note that the Supreme Court acquired this case under the writ of certiari and not as original jurisdiction. Because of this, they were not ruling on the guilt or innocence of the two men, and in fact, the Supreme Court never does that. Instead, they were examining the constitutional question revolving around the case, and the reason for why the two men could not be convicted, not if they should be convicted. Now, it is not too often that the Supreme Court gets involved in criminal law, but in 1816, the case of United States v. Coolidge comes up. The Attorney General of the United States did not wish to argue the case, and no attorney appeared for the defendant. Under these conditions, the Supreme Court did not wish to review their decision in U.S. v. Hudson and Goodwin. Now what brought this specific case to the court? The defendants in the case forcibly rescued a prize which had been captured and taken from them by two American privateers. The captured boat was on its way to the port of Salem to take part in a case under the circuit court for the District of Massachusetts. The question again came up, do the circuit courts have authority over common law offenses against the United States? The judges in the circuit court were once again divided, but the Supreme Court gave a swift answer with, the United States v. Hudson and Goodwin ruling serves as precedent and shows that Congress has to make a law making a specific action illegal in order for the circuit courts to hear the case. Further reading from today's podcast can be found on the Library of Congress website where court decisions are published, as well as Gary Rowe's 1992 book, The Sound of Silence, United States v. Hudson and Goodwin, The Jeffersonian Ascendancy, and The Abolition of Federal Common Law Crimes, published by Yale University Press. Come back next week when we will discuss the 1816 case of Martin v. Hunter's Lessee and its role as a landmark case in the Supreme Court. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter under the username of at ALARS175 if you wish to leave me comments and questions on today's episode. I ask that you please follow, rate, and like my podcast so I can improve my skills and continue to gain listeners. I also ask that you think about supporting this podcast through the link in the description. Thank you for listening and see you next week. All of the work and research done for this podcast is the sole property of myself, Aaron Larson, and shall not be downloaded or redistributed without my express written consent. Thank you.